Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Praise God. How are you guys tonight? Good, man. Love y'all. Uh, excited to get into, um, continue to worship with you in God's word. I, um, man, praise God that he is faithful. Praise God that this whole thing, this whole relationship that we have with a creator who calls us to be his is based on his faithfulness to us. Uh, not ours to him, not our track record, not our church attendance, not our uh, list of do's and don'ts. It is based on his faithfulness. Praise God for that. We're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 19, uh, Luke chapter 19 tonight. Um, uh, if you got your Bibles flipped there, or your iPhone Bibles, or I think there's Bibles actually underneath the pews, if you want to grab one of those, um, Luke 19. As you're flipping there, I had this realization, uh, scary realization, that I think I've got a theory. I think all of life potentially might just be a continuation from our middle school experiences. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, I, I, my fear is that all of life is actually just ripples that come from really all of the experiences we had in middle school. I remember where I was. Uh, I remember where I was. It was a sleepover. And I remember the first time I saw another boy who had a mustache in middle school. And it was probably a combination of just like 37 whiskers across his upper lip. But for me as a 12-year-old, I thought, oh my God, this is a grown man, right? I could just sense it, right? Uh, I, I remember when I was in sixth grade, um, I remember in sixth grade, I, the cool thing, I'm dating myself here, but the cool thing to wear was Nike. Um, and it was not just any Nike, it was a white shirt, just a plain white shirt with the, with the black swoosh. That's all it was. And that was what you wore, was the white shirt and the black swoosh. Nike knew they were cool though, and so they sold those shirts for 30 bucks. Um, and I was poor, so I don't just get $30 shirts whenever I want to, guys. I gotta wait till Christmas. So I wait till Christmas as a sixth grade boy. I get my Nike white shirt with a black swoosh. I come back after Christmas break. I'm wearing it. Everybody has moved on to graphic tees. And I remember feeling so massively inadequate, right? Here I am. I can't grow a mustache. Uh, here I am wearing a Nike shirt that was so four to five weeks ago. And realized instantly, oh, man, all of life, there is a class of people that I do not belong to, right? And so I think about my life, right? I, I think about my life currently, and I am still surrounded by other people who I look at, and I think, oh, I'm inadequate, right? I look at the cars they drive, the jobs they have, the mustaches that some of you are able to grow, and I am still not, as a 40-year-old man, able to grow a mustache. It's hard, um, right? All of those things are this progression of ripples, right? Okay, last, last one. Well, last two. Uh, Sarah Crosby was my girlfriend in sixth grade. It was a big deal. It was first, it was, I mean, that was the beginning of my understanding of love. Just real, genuine love. She asked me to go out with me. I said yes. Our love began seven weeks of never talking to her. Just never talked to her for an entire seven weeks until she called and left a message on my voicemail machine um, saying that she broke up with me. And I knew love and I knew heartbreak and all of life is now just ripples from that. Here's the, here's the last one. Recess, right? Or, or PE, when people are splitting up teams. 
right? The middle school angst of where are you going to get picked, right? Where are you going to, here I am with a Nike shirt that's old, and am I going to get picked? Am I, am I going to get accepted? That feeling of choosing people, two captains going through and picking their favorite people and wondering when or where am I going to get picked in the lineup, that driving desire that I, I mean, the visceral feeling of a middle school boy or girl just not sure if they're going to, that is something that ripples throughout our life continuously today, right? It, It is a paralyzing driving desire to say, am I going to be accepted? Are other people going to want me? Am I going to be continually passed over for other relationships, other people, other jobs? Acceptance is a desire that God has wired into us, and it is a driving desire behind, I would imagine, most of the decisions and passions you have in your life. There is very possibly a driving desire to say, am I, can I be accepted by these people, by this job? Can I be validated in those things? It's a powerful need. Um, I want us to look at that. As we look at an interaction with Jesus in Luke chapter 19, I want us to look at how Jesus interacts in a way that informs for us, if we do this life his way, if we believe this is truth, how does that inform our hope? How, How does the character of Jesus in his interaction As it relates to acceptance, what's that say about our hope for this God-wired need in all of us? Luke 19 chapters, I mean, verses one through 10. Here we go. He, referring to Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, the crowd. They all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded any whim of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Um, You might have heard this story, um, pretty common if you grew up in church. Um, Zacchaeus, little guy, can't see Jesus, but knows about Jesus. Jesus is a huge deal, right? I mean, this is Luke 19, so we've already seen Jesus heal multiple people and do these miraculous things. And now here you have Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector who's like, I gotta, I gotta see this guy. And everybody wanted to see him. I mean, massive crowds, you couldn't get to him, you couldn't see him. So he literally climbs into a tree um, to, to see, to get his eyes on Jesus. Uh, this idea of him being a chief tax collector, this might be common, you might be real familiar with this, but I mean, he, as a tax collector, that was a horrible, horrible thing to everyone in that crowd, right? Tax collectors were one of the least respected people in society. The Jewish uh, nation was under oppression and was occupied by the Roman Empire. The Romans had come in and they had taken over and they had said, hey, guess what, Israel, this is cool. This is gonna be our land now, right? This is gonna be Roman territory. And in order to live in your homeland, you're gonna have to pay us taxes. 
So they invaded Israel, they occupied Israel, and then they charged the people who they occupied a tax for their oppression to remain involved there. But they didn't take the tax themselves, they would raise up other Jews to do that job for them, tax collectors. So tax collectors are Jews who are completely betraying their own people. And not only that, they're stealing from their own people, especially since he is a chief tax collector and he was rich, which means he's good at it, which means his job is to go and find oppressed Jews and take more of their money and then give it to the enemy and then keep some for himself. And apparently he kept a lot of it because he's rich. And so he's organizing a huge racket of just stealing from people. Right? That's the scene. That's who this character is. This character is despised by everyone around, wants to get his eyes on Jesus, wants to see him. Jesus comes through the crowd and, and sees him. Right? Jesus comes through this crowd, people everywhere, and out of all of those people, out of all of those people there to celebrate him and see him and, and bring him glory, he sees Zacchaeus. Here's something I want us to see. I'm gonna make some observations just throughout this text and then we're gonna say, okay, Lord, what does this have to do with us? One of them is, is this idea we see in the text that Jesus sees us when others don't. That's a reality of the character of Jesus, right? He sees us when others don't. Look at verse one, he entered into Jericho, he's passing through. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, he's chief guy. Look at verse three. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on the account of the crowd, he couldn't. He's small. He runs. He climbs in the sycamore tree to see him. And then verse five, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I mean, this is, I mean, this is documented by, by Luke for a very specific reason. This was a huge deal. I mean, the significance of Jesus stopping in this massive crowd and, and unnaturally looking up and saying, hey, you, I see you. And not just I see you in judgment, but I see you. It's common throughout scripture that Jesus sees uh, others when, when maybe we don't, right? He sees people who other people have rejected and, and don't see. We see it um, in Luke 8. There's a huge crowd of people and a, a woman reaches out to touch the hem of Jesus' garment for healing. And, and she has this desperate need of faith. And Jesus sees her when she's just one of hundreds of people pressing in around Jesus. We see it in John 4 with the Samaritan woman at the well who nobody would have had any business being around or even noticing her. She, was, um, she would have been despised and she would have been unclean. We see it in Matthew 4. Jesus sees two random fishermen named John and James and says, hey, come and follow me and I'm gonna change your life. Uh, we see it when Jesus is hanging on the cross and we see, and everybody's focused on Jesus and we see Jesus while he's being crucified engage and interact with a criminal on the cross next to him. Right? He's engaging with this person while he himself is suffocating. He's actually encouraging the criminal next to him who nobody's paying attention to and encouraging him with the truth that you will experience paradise while he himself is suffering and suffocating for our sins. Right? Jesus, all throughout scripture, he sees people other people don't. 
That's who our God is. That's the character of our God that we see interaction after interaction. Our Savior, Jesus, sees people who are hurting and who are lonely and who are not spectacular. And our God stops and he sees them. How about you? Right? What does that look like? It is, it is common to mankind, whether it was middle school or the ripples that continue to happen, to feel forgotten. Right? That is a common to man feeling, but it is so isolating. And it is hard to prepare for that feeling of just being forgotten, being looked over. We, we live in a society that's driven by likes and attention and affirmation Right? We are, we're trying to, to maintain a social calendar. right? And so, so often, we are so driven and we crave acceptance so badly in our life. This, this God-designed thing where we say, man, I want to be accepted. I want to belong. I want to I be seen and accepted by my boss or by the opposite sex or by whatever it is. And we pursue that so badly. And then other times, we might, you might swing the other way. And you might feel so exhausted by that pursuit, by that disappointment, by that loneliness that you swing and instead of being driven by a desire to be accepted, you actually might not relate to that and you might go the opposite way and just feel so walled up. Same root issue of it is a, it is a desire to be accepted, but for so long it's so exhausting and that disappointment just feels too difficult and so we just wall up our hearts and our emotions and we swing the other way and we just choose to isolate. Maybe we've honestly become more comfortable with being unseen. We would prefer to just be unseen. Look, wherever you are tonight, wherever you are tonight in that spectrum, if you find yourself in a season where you think, I do want to be accepted, I want this validation, or, man, I have been numb to those feelings for so long. Um, be reminded, be encouraged. See this observation of Christ's interaction, not just with Zacchaeus, throughout Scripture, um, as a God who sees you. As a God who sees you. But here's the beauty of him seeing you. He doesn't just see you. He accepts us. Right? We see in this passage that God accepts us when others won't. Look at verse 7 of chapter 19. And when they saw it, right, this is the whole crowd who just hate this guy, Zacchaeus, because he's spent his career stealing from them and giving part of that money to their enemies. They see it and they grumble. He's gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. They don't even use his name, right? They're just, man, this is a sinner. They're grumbling. They're name calling. Um, the custom of the day to be a guest Right, would have been inherently tied in the Jewish custom to this idea of acceptance. Right? There's Jewish laws in the Old Testament all about what that hospitality looks like. And, and, and honestly, if you're allowed to enter certain people's houses and not, not other people's houses, and certain people's homes are not clean, and, and there would have been a, a huge um, attachment of this idea of, hey, there's an acceptance to, hey, we're going to go and we're going to break bread together and I'm going to be in your home. There's an inherent built-in acceptance there that Jesus uh, has for Zacchaeus. Um, even people who were considered unclean, uh, we see that. <clears throat> no one in this crowd would have accepted Zacchaeus, right? In, in Luke 19, nobody else would have done that. But Jesus, the son of God, holy and perfect, does. A thief, a, 
a traitor that Zacchaeus was, an oppressor of other people. And Jesus doesn't qualify. I want you to not miss that. Jesus doesn't qualify his invitation, him inviting himself over with a bunch of, hey, Zacchaeus, here are hoops that you need to jump through. Hey, I I think I'm going to come to your house. You just need to follow these seven steps or jump through some hoops. He doesn't qualify it. He saw him. He accepted him. Romans 5.8, which I love Romans 5.8. We, we quote that a lot around here. Um, <clears throat> Romans 5.8, Paul says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the atoning death of Jesus Christ, right? The death of Christ, the payment for our sins, what allows me to be in relationship with the God of the universe, that happened way before I actually jumped through the hoops to be able to deserve that. So God's acceptance to me is available. How about you tonight? What's that look like for you? What does that look like for you when you're honest before the Lord to say, man, am am I stuck in sin? Am I stuck in shame? Do I feel like, man, God would not accept me if he knew what I've done, if he knew the extent of it, if he knew where I'd been, that shame keeps us and says, I don't, I don't believe God's word. I don't believe that he would accept me. God of, the God of scripture, time and time again, meets people in their lowest moments of life, right? In their lowest, most repulsive moments, our God meets them and doesn't reject them. Right? In Luke 19, we see that. Right? We see in John 8, a woman who is literally caught in the act of adultery. Right? She is actively cheating on her husband, and she is caught in, in that, and she is then dragged, most likely half naked, in front of Jesus, the Holy Son of God, and Jesus stands before her and advocates for her. That's who our God is. The interactions he has shows us that not only he sees us, but he accepts us. Here, this chief tax collector, I'm coming to spend time with you. I am drawing near to you. I desire to draw near to you. That's what our God does. That's who he is. That's his character tonight. Do you believe God is who he says he is? Do you stiff arm this God? And say, no, well, yeah, but I just need to clean myself. I need to jump through some hoops. I need to distance myself a little from from my sin. And then I'll be worthy to do that. Or do we see his kindness as exactly what it is? The kindness and the grace and the mercy of God meeting us in our lowest, darkest, most embarrassing places. He wants to draw near. He wants to push past your shame. He wants to push past your sin. Seeing all of your sin and not counting your trespasses against you, we see in 2 Corinthians 5. And here's the issue, though. Here's the issue, though, if I'm going to be real practical with, with what I, the issue I have with trying to apply this truth, right? My acceptance, the world accepting me, me feeling accepted by the world, whatever that looks like, a job, a promotion, a relationship, Right, All of those things, they feel so much more tangible than Jesus loves me because the Bible told me so. Right? So it's hard. I I get this. I can preach this, and we can say, yeah, Jesus loves us right where we're at. But 
to feel the physical touch of another person, it feels so much more tangible than, yeah, Jesus loves me because the Bible told me so. But to hear the audible affirmation of somebody else who accepts me is such a more tangible reality if I'm really honest, right? So yeah, Jesus accepts me, but that just feels so nebulous and spiritual and not tangible, like a promotion or an accomplishment or a friendship. I get it. I think we have to be honest with ourselves. I think, I know, I get that. And these are usually good things, right? These are good things that we're chasing after, that we are made to long for. But ultimately, they are not all we are designed to long for, right? You've been created with a soul. We believe you have been created with a soul that is designed to be connected to your creator, to be accepted and connected to more than this world can ever offer. Mark 8, 36 says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Accepted everywhere, accomplished everything, right? Have everything you want and yet not have your soul. Your soul designed to be connected with God, all of that pales in comparison. Okay, so what if there is really no contest? Right, as we wrestle with this idea of, yeah, but it's not tangible. I get it, Jesus loves me, and that's good, and that should be enough, but I want a wife, I want a husband, I want, I want to actually be promoted, I want somebody to see me and say, yes, you have what it takes, come and be a part, I, I want those things, those things feel so much more tangible, and they're not bad things, but they become these ultimate things. What if there really is no contest between the quick dopamine hit that you get when a beautiful girl wants you or or a charming, funny guy walks across the room and talks to you and wants to chat with you and wants to get your number. That dopamine hit, what if that's it, right? What if that is the pinnacle, the endorphins that flood to my brain in those moments of worldly acceptance? What if that is the peak of joy and satisfaction? We know it's not though. You know that it's not because you also know what it feels like when that fades away. And you know what it feels like when the dopamine hit of that acceptance wears off and you find yourself empty again, alone again, lonely again, discouraged again, looking for the next opportunity to feel that acceptance tangibly to feel the physical touch tangibly, to feel the affirmation tangibly, to move up another ladder on the, on, in your career, to, to just get a little bit more in shape so that even more people would really appreciate the way you look and accept you for all of those things. Because we know what it looks like when those fade. It's empty and it's lonely and we know we were actually designed for something so much More than that, you're made to be near the God of the universe, the God of heaven and earth. You're made to be near and draw near to him. You're designed with a soul. It's not a a dopamine factory. It is a worship factory that has been designed within you. It's designed to be connected to a God who sees you and accepts you. And when we have eyes to see and when we have ears to hear and when we have faith to believe, we draw near. And when we draw near, something happens. And you see it in this passage. And you can't preach the first two aspects of of this interaction without 
making sure you hit the last one, which is this. When you draw near, Jesus transforms us. Jesus transforms us when he is near to us. Look at Luke 19, 8 through 10. Look at how the story of Zacchaeus ends. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Remember, this is a thief. He has spent his career accumulating, stealing money from the poor. Jesus sees him. Jesus accepts him where he's at, enters into him, and look at the change that happens in this guy. Look at how everything changes, not before he's accepted, but after he's accepted, this kindness of Jesus that produces this transformation. Half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Look, Jesus transforms us when we are near him. He he does, that is inherent within who our God is. And when I say transform, I, I mean repentance, right? When Jesus transforms us, there should be change. There should be the things that I pursue that are not in the design that God has created, the sin in my life, the apathy in my life, the disobedience in my life, or just the sins of commission to say, I just don't really, I'm not going to actively sin, but I don't really want to be a part of that. I don't really want to go make disciples. I'm good with being a consumer and I'm going to do the once a month Wednesday, but I don't want to come and be challenged to get out of my, right? All of those things, repentance happens, change in our life. Our behaviors should change when we are near Jesus. If there is not transformation, Listen, if you think you are near Jesus and yet your life isn't being transformed, I don't think you're near Jesus. Inherent within him is a goodness calling us to something else. It calls us to something else. It's a false gospel. It is a false gospel and a, a false truth, to, a lie to preach, to say, hey, the gospel lets you You be close to Jesus and then you do you. And he just loves all of you and you never have to change and you never have to look at your sin and you never have to acknowledge that sin. He accepts you where you're at, but make no mistake, the gospel should be producing transformation. It should be producing repentance. And just like it's a false gospel to say that we must transform before we're accepted, Right, That would also be a false gospel. That would be legalism, that we've got to do all of these things and clean ourselves up so that we're accepted. Right, In the same way that that would be a false gospel, so would, so would the claim that Jesus loves you and Jesus accepts you and you don't have to change and you don't have to look more like him. That's not Jesus. That's a, a homemade version of Jesus that I have made that I feel comfortable with. I can create my version of Jesus and I can cherry pick the aspects and the character traits that I want of Christ. Then I can say, I'm gonna do this, but don't touch these things because this is who I want to be. This is what I want to do. And I don't want you to touch these things. And so all the time we make these, these fraudulent homemade versions of Jesus that aren't real. He sees us, he accepts us. That acceptance is real, but that acceptance is this beautiful linchpin that should then produce transformation and freedom it changes you and when it changes you it changes community right 
it would be a disaster if you heard this sermon and you just thought, this just applies to me. This is all about me. This whole thing is all about how I get Jesus and I feel accepted and I get a warm hug from Jesus and I'm gonna start to try to respond to his grace with, with, with changed behavior. And it never translates to how you then show that acceptance to the community around you. If this just stays a sermon that sits with you and, and it's all about your personal one-on-one relationship, then you have missed an entire aspect of what God is calling us, which is not just that change produced in you, but then how it takes effect in a community, right? A a whole community of people who are loving each other and accepting each other with grace, but also calling each other sanctification. Come and follow and let's look more like Jesus as a bunch of imperfect people are stumbling our way to a God who is calling us for more and loving us fully every stumbling step of the way. Here is my final challenge. My final challenge as we go back into worship and prayer is that we would trade all of these false mechanisms of how we earn acceptance in our, in our young adult lives. All of these false mechanisms of ways we attempt to, to be accepted, to not be the, the last pick on the playground, to, to not be alone, to not get passed up for that promotion. Our jobs, our gyms, our relationships, our social calendars, our romances all become these false mechanisms that never really solve what you are designed for, which is to be connected to a God who says, I love you. Despite all of your sin, I see it all. I see it all and I still accept you and I'm calling you if you would follow me to more. He draws near And that is what the gospel allows us to do. That's what the gospel allows us to do. That truth of his acceptance, this is super important. That truth of his acceptance is not applied to everybody. It's applied to those who have surrendered their life to Christ. Right? It's not a universal thing that we all get that. It's applied to those who he has said, I love you, and then we've responded with faith. We are saved by grace, that unbelievable grace of acceptance. But we are saved by grace through faith, not of our own doing. And so if you're here tonight and you're in that place and you say, I have been trying to earn this. I have been trying to earn my acceptance. I mean, there are plenty of churches that will preach that. There's plenty of denominations that build their entire liturgy liturgy and structure around this idea of you've got to earn and approach and do these things and If that's you tonight, praise God you're here. And I want you to hear and see the character of the real and risen and true God that he says, the good news of Jesus applies to you because you need it. The good news of the grace of God applies to you because you are far from him because of your sin and Christ is the only way. So stop trying to fix yourself and surrender and say, okay, I need you, Jesus. At times, it feels so less tangible than the immediate gratification I could get chasing something else that's just gonna wither and fade. But the gospel allows us to draw near. Our God loves us so much, hung on a cross for us, died, buried, rose again. And for those who call Christ savior, we're accepted. Do we walk in the freedom that he's already purchased for us? that we know our sin actually has mercy that triumphs over us. 
that we know his kindness is actually what called us out of that tree to follow him and to live a life of change, that his kindness leads us to repentance. Let me pray for us as we go back into worship. Father, thank you for how you love us, God. Thank you for this reality that your grace allows us to be seen by you, accepted by you undeservingly. The judgment that we deserve, we don't get judgment, we get mercy. And the kindness you show then leads us to living transformed lives. God, would you recenter our hearts? Tonight would tonight be a night of alignment that as we see the character of Christ in this interaction that we recenter where we pursue acceptance primarily. Would you do that work that only you can do, God, for your glory in the name of Jesus, amen.